Well, we are about to begin a new series, and we are going to go through the book of Exodus, and we've kind of played on the word with like Exodus means ex-o-dus, like get us out of here. If you look through the room right now, you can see these signs all over the place, exit. And these are there not because you don't know your way in or out, but in case of an emergency, it's, it's lit clear enough if you have trouble seeing your way in case of a fire that you can get out. But the problem is, is that most of us, when it comes to God in our life and God's plan for our life, we kind of use him as a 911 service or an emergency exit. But the exodus isn't about getting out quick from our problems. It's actually about going through the most difficult situations and that when the enemy tries to destroy us, God actually blesses and multiplies us. How many of you need blessing for 2021? Uh, I don't know about you, but everybody's been saying hashtag delete 2020. I don't want to forget any of the lessons that I learned in 2020. You know why? Because they are probably going to help me in 2021 and 2022. And uh, I love that hashtag uh, new year, new self. No, same person, uh, new grace, new mourning. And, and we just, no matter how long you've lived, whether you're, you're a teenager or a kid or a full-on um, adult in your golden years, you've, co you've come to the truth that you know that no matter how much we want problems to permanently go away, they don't. No matter how much we want uh, 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 oppressors and opponents and, and persecutors and problems to disappear, they won't. But we've come to find that this walk, the Christian walk, is a walk where we get on a journey that brings us from us focusing on us to getting into God's promises and plan for our life and participating with him. And so what I like to do is read from Exodus chapter 1, and I totally misplaced the clicker yet again. I don't know how I did that. Yeah, it's a mystery. I'm going to just do, you, you're going to have to watch me the whole time, so sorry. Um, so the, the whole journey from us, I, I heard somebody, I just found it, hallelujah. By the way, can we, can I just acknowledge she wouldn't want me to do this, but Flavia Katie is consistently been up there in the sound booth during COVID. And I just want to say thank you. And, and uh, I, I would love to say this is, is that, you know, another way that you can get connected is, is if you do that get connected card, whether you're watching online or you take your phone and open it on that connect, or you go to lolag.org and click that button right there on the front page called Get Connected. You can check off Serve. And we really, really need people that would help up in media and videography. A shout out to Kevin and Ethan and Adam and that whole crew. But this is just a whole different world with a whole different set of serving needs. And uh, we just appreciate every one of you that's been coming out that's been getting involved. And we appreciate that. So thank you very much. I want to talk with you before I talk about the book of Exodus that it's, it's easy to underestimate that civilization. In fact, the truth be told, it is one of the greatest civilizations ever known to mankind. It is one of the oldest civilizations ever known to mankind. They understood star positions and engineering in a way that still baffles people that they're moving you know, 70 and 100 ton blocks into shapes that have stood the test of time for over six to 7,000 years. They were building sanctuaries and pillars, and in fact, it was, it was uh, Plato, the philosopher in Greece, that said that the Greeks didn't invent sculpting, they didn't invent architecture, they actually got it from the Egyptians. So anybody in the ancient world, they, 
it was, you wanted to be an Egyptian. You wanted to be connected to Egypt and you wanted to learn the way they did those things. And, and in fact, uh, King Tutankhamun, King Tut as we know him, he, we're knowing him because back in 1924-27, one of the greatest discoveries in Egyptology ever happened. They came into this boy king's uh, undisturbed pyramid palace funeral area. And I mean, this is just one of countless rooms that were filled with gold and sculptures. And this is kind of an interesting story. It's not a brag. It's just kind of a neat connection. But you're looking at the sarcophagus of the, the funeral burial mass that went over King Tutankhamun. And the guy who did the metallurgy work on this, who updated this, actually happened to be the man who gave my wife and I engagement wedding and wedding bands. And so I had gold from the guy that updated King Tutankhamun that did the work that makes this look as amazing as it is. But I want to confess something public here this morning. I forgot my wedding ring and I only get to do this once in 2021, honey. Sorry about that. So confession's good for the soul. You can't underestimate Egypt. Take a look at that. That's Egypt from space. To the right on the coast is Israel. Notice that it's almost like this big span at the end and this long line. And I mean, I'm telling you, that line is like United States long, thousands of miles. In fact, doesn't even, it actually goes beyond the length of the United States because it's 4,000 miles long, the Nile River. Goes all the way into the middle of Egypt. Now, here's what you need to understand for us to really understand part of what we're going to talk about this morning. In the ancient world, you prayed to God for rain. Because there was, if there was no rain, there were no crops. If there were no crops, then you died of starvation. You died of thirst. But the one thing that the world could always count on is that if the rains didn't produce, the grains of the Nile River were always available to you. In fact, every year snow melts in deep almost like way into ethiopia the snow melts flows out and it's one of four rivers in the world that doesn't flow north to south it flows actually south to north and what it does is is it the perfect time of year it floods and it puts all of this rich central african soil on the ground so that you can, at the perfect time, you plant your seeds and then the banks overflow to water it and then you wait for it to grow and then right when it needs that extra boost, the river overflows right at the perfect time. So it doesn't matter what nature did, the Nile River was the place that you could always count on to go to for grain. And this is the story of Joseph. Joseph is, is betrayed by his brother, sold into slavery, and we talked about him a while back, and he said, what you intended for evil, God intended for good, for the saving of many lives, because in the vision that Pharaoh had, there were, there were lean cows, and there were, there were fat cows followed by lean cows, and the lean cows ate them up, and it was seven years of famine. He said, seven years of famine will destroy the world, because if Egypt has a drought, everybody dies. And so God's story and Egypt's story are intertwined there, and that's where it brings us to where we're coming here today, the exodus, the journey from us to God's promise. And if you're going to get there, the most important thing for you to get into God's promises is going to be trust. You have to trust God. Hello? You may not have heard that. It's a phone ringing online. So turn with me, if you would, online, on your phone, in your Bible, to Exodus 
chapter 1. I'd like to read a couple of verses here. It starts off and it says this, chapter 1, verse 1. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came out of Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Notice the council in Jerusalem was 70 people. That's based off of the amount of people that left Israel to go to. That's the first mention of the 70. And here's what's interesting is, is there are 12 tribes, but only 10 are mentioned. And the reason why is because Joseph didn't become a tribe. Actually, two tribes came from him, Ephraim and Manasseh. And so now all of Israel is in Egypt. And the story says that the world was in famine. What's interesting to notice is that the names of the sons of Israel came to Egypt with Jacob. Why would they go to Egypt? God gave them that promised land. All throughout the ancient world, you can see, especially in Egypt, you can see these reliefs that are on the walls of different tombs and different pyramids of, a, of an event that took place where there was starvation in Egypt. You never see this in Egypt. And so what are you looking at? Well, you're looking at something where everybody says, well, the Bible, I don't know if it's reliable. I think it's a bunch of made-up stories. And it's kind of, no, actually, if you do some of the stuff that I did where you study history outside of the Bible and you begin to connect the dots, it's incredible to see this is not a book that says a long time ago in a land far, far away. It is embedded in history. It is upheld with history. And archaeology can support it in different areas. But archaeology, digging up dirt, and ruins is not there for the purpose of proving whether something's real or not but if something listen it's not just about faith because if if this whole book is a fairy tale then I might as well be believing in Cinderella it just it's not this is this is real God's book is real and these events are recorded throughout history that's why we'll be talking about them if you want to, you can email the church at office at lolag.org, and we're going to start sending out teachings once a week that'll get you in there deeper. If you don't like that stuff, you don't have to watch it or read it, but I'll be making a video each week to help give you some of the things that I used to give at the Bible college. So free Bible college education for those that want it. What are you looking up there? That's a tent. That's a Bedouin tent. That's what Abraham dwelt in. Imagine God takes Abraham out of New York City of his day, out of Babylon, out of Ur of the Chaldeans, and he puts him in the middle of nowhere. Many of us, listen, we would, we would think if God told us to go somewhere that's nowhere, we would think that our lives are being punished or we're being cursed. But if you're going to follow into God's promise, and if you're going to go from us to promise, what you're going to have to realize is, is that you're going to have to trust God. And just like Abraham did, he thought, man, maybe if anywhere that God would do something, it wouldn't be in the back, in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of no place. Why would God throw me nowhere in the middle of this Canaan land? He took him out of the city and he made him a country boy. He took him out of the urban setting and he made him a, a goat herder and a sheep herder. And they would live in there. And even to this day, I could take you to Israel and you can hang out with friends and they would give you hospitality and treat you like a king, even though they live like paupers, some of them. Now, on the other hand, there are some of these places that they, they, they literally are living like kings, and this would be more of what Abraham was doing. In fact, on the wall on the left, you can see a sword. Whenever you come into a Bedouin tent, they have a saying, they offer you three cups of coffee. They say one for the host, one for the guest, and the third for the sword, which they will run through anyone who tries to hurt you under their protection and care. In fact, one of our missionaries who was in Afghanistan was one of those people that was helping the Bedouin in that part of the world do farming. 
And they took him in and he said, it's amazing, the very people that were protecting Osama bin Laden were actually making sure that they didn't hurt my family because they took us under their protection. That's Middle Eastern hospitality. But imagine, it says that Genesis chapter 12, verses one through three, God said, go from your country, Abraham, to the land I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and through you all families of the earth shall be blessed. And that we have lived, and to see the benefit of that, through, through Abraham's line, through, through Abraham's faith, through the people of Israel, through Jesus Christ, we've been blessed from those people. Now, not only that, but God said to Abraham, he said, everywhere you look, everywhere you step, I'm going to give it to you. How many of you, if God said to you this week, I'm going to give you a brand new house, how many of you would turn that down? It depends on the house, right? <laughs> if it looks like the tent. What if God said, I'm going to totally make you a multimillionaire? How many of you would resist that plan for your life, right? <laughs> no, Lord, please don't, know. But look at what God says, along with all of those promises, he throws a curveball and he says to Abraham, the great-grandfather of Joseph, then the Lord said to Abram, you shall know this, your descendants will live in a country that is not their own, they will be strangers there, the people there will make them slaves. Notice it doesn't say that God will make them slaves and be cruel to them. Notice it doesn't say that God's being cruel to them for 400 years. Sometimes when we look at God's plan and it involves blessing and goodness, we run to it. But other times we look at situations that have difficulty, trial and testing, and we run from it because we say, no, God can't be on that. The same God who leads us into promise and blessing is the same God that says, follow me and I will make you. And I, my prayer for you in 2021 is that you wouldn't run from the difficult situations. You'd walk towards them with the one thing that you need in order to get from us to promise, which is trust. You need to trust God. You need to rely on God. You need to know that his promises are yes and amen. You need to understand that God won't abandon you. He won't forsake you. And he's not to blame for what other people do to you. And it's not healthy to be the kind of person that every time things don't go your way that you look up at heaven and say, thanks a lot. I thought you loved me. It's amazing how much stuff God gets blamed for that people are responsible for. It's amazing how much the devil gets blamed for things that people are responsible for. But if you're called to follow Christ... If you're saying, I know Jesus, I know that I would follow him into blessing, but sometimes I question if I will willingly follow him into burden. And that's what the story of the Exodus is. Do I trust him? Do I know him? Do I know him? Because to know him is to trust him. A friend of mine said it like this recently. If you know the Lord, then you know the only thing you need to know is him. So many of us want God to give us the details and we want God to give us the control, but it doesn't come our way. And that's what this verse is. So Exodus chapter 1, verse 1. And here we go. Jumping down to verse 6. Then, the Lord, then Joseph died and all his brothers and all the, that generation, but the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land 
was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to the people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they sent taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. Then they built for Pharaoh the store cities of Pitzim and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. And the more that they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel so that they ruthlessly made it, uh, made the people of Israel work as slaves. And they made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick, straw and mud. And in all kinds of work in the field, farming and harvesting. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, of one whom was named Sifra and Pua, when the service, uh, when, when you serve as a midwife and the Hebrew women see them on, and you see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, you shall let him live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them. Let's stop right there. If you want to go from us where we are here into promise through a genuine exodus it is not something that gets you out of trouble sometimes it brings you into troubling times and in order for you to have the kind of trust that you need to walk where god's calling you to walk you need to follow jesus when jesus showed up to the world he didn't say obey me he didn't say submit to me he didn't say do do exactly what I tell you. No, you know what he said? He said, follow me. You know, a lot of men are really hung up on the verse that says, wives, submit to your husbands, right? Why don't you backtrack that verse a few and read where it says this. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. You know what? There would be women following their husbands everywhere and submitting to them if they led the way by loving them the way that Christ loved the church. Now, all the women said... It's truth. All the men said, ow. But you know what? When Jesus said, follow me, he said, follow me. Where are we following him to? Into goodness and blessing. And yes, sometimes, but just like Dylan referred in the message, uh, what about when it leads us into a troubling time? How could, how could, I think about Gethsemane, where Jesus, uh, listen, there's so much, there's so much talk about a leadership movement. One of my mentors, Leonard Sweet, wrote a great book, and, and actually, I can brag that I'm cited in a book here, but I'm cited in the book in the introduction there. It's, it's, uh, um, I am a follower. And that whole part of my, my whole work and my doctoral work, we were talking about futuring and leadership. And leadership is right, and we need to be leader. And the Bible talks about the gift of leadership, but the Bible talks way more about followership. Jesus came to the world and he said, follow me. And the Apostle Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And I don't think, I don't think the problem is, is that there, there are too many dictators and there's not enough examples that are out there to say, follow me. I'll be humble. Follow me. Listen, Jesus, don't run from me. Follow. Don't chase after your dreams. Follow me. Don't take the lead and take control and, take, and, and make things happen. Follow me. Follow me. I think about Gethsemane where Jesus followed the father and then he's there and he says father God's saying to him I want you to follow me to the cross and he's in that moment and he's sweating drops of blood and he's saying 
Father, if it's possible, please don't lead me into this place. His whole life was focused on the cross. He talked about enduring it. The moment's there, and he says, please get me out of here. Deliver me. Exodus me. Exit us. Help me. And God said, there's no other way, my son. If you will go to this cross, I will help you lead an entire people out for all eternity. But there's no other way to do it. And what does Jesus do? He says, not my will, your will be done. Jesus wasn't taking the lead in that moment. He was taking the follow. He was following the lead of his, follower, he was of his father. And I think that so many of us, if we just picked up God's word, if we just picked up God's counsel, if we just picked up his will and began to lay down ours, we would step into so many promises. But it requires that you have to trust. And if you're a control freak, that's torture. When we trust our own resources, we trust our own. Well, what do you do if your resources run dry? What do you do? And you know, just to note here, all throughout this passage, over and over again, the people multiply. I mean, there's a difference between addition. One plus one is what? Two plus two is what? Two times six is Let me give you a dyslexic mathematic tactic. Watch this. You throw out the equation. Watch this. 17 plus 42 is what? 59. Right. Awesome. I didn't know the answer to that. I just waited until the right per enough people agreed with somebody, and I just did it. It's a great tactic. I just, you make your eyes go back and forth like you're working on the math. There's a difference between addition, though, and math multiplication. Multiplication, look at, think about this. They're trying to make it impossible for these people. And the harder they press, the greater they're blessed. Nobody holds God's best for your life except you. Nobody can keep you from God's best except you. It's not in a boss's hands. It's not in a devil's hand. It's not in a man or a woman's hand. It's in the hands of God. And it doesn't matter what hell does to you. If you're following God, he will multiply. But obedience always brings blessing, and hell is never content to watch blessing take place, so it sets out to oppress. And that's exactly what happened in this journey. And while we take this word trust and we play with it a little bit here, let me just uh, play on that word for a second here and say with, with trust, there's always going to be a tut. What do I mean by tut? Like King Tut, there's gonna be a pharaoh. There's gonna be a pharaoh. You think that 2020, you can just delete that and all problems are gonna go away and the vaccine will come out and we will all live happily ever after. And man, we're, I always wondered why Asians continually all throughout Asia would wear these, like they've been doing this for years. I have no idea where we're going from here. I have no idea. There was a, Yeah, I'll hold that thought for a second. Listen, chapter 1, verse 8. Look at this. We'll go back right to the text. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Now that's kind of like, I don't know all of you. You're here, and I don't know you, and it kind of sounds innocent, but the wording and what's going on here is a lot heavier. It actually, it's not that he didn't know about Joseph. It's that he didn't care to know Joseph. He didn't care to honor any previous agreements or good or, or, or accord with the people of Israel. And so he flipped it. He felt threatened by them because they were becoming so numerous. There's story behind this. 
It says, now there was a king over Egypt who knew not Joseph. Well, what's this whole idea? Why so intense? I know that's pretty gross, right? Thanks, Pastor Paul. Um, you're looking at the Pharaoh who was a couple of generations before Moses. And if you look closely, you can see ax marks all over him. There was a war. And this war was basically the people that were in the Canaanites. See, some people call them sea people. Some people call them Canaanites. Some people uh, call them the Hyksos. But these people came into northern Egypt. They set up shop. They started trading and they said to themselves, why should we just get taxed when we can own the whole thing? And so they defeated, for the first time in Egypt's history, they were defeated and they all drove them south. That would be like Canada driving America below the Mason-Dixon line in one moment. And so this guy has two sons, Kamos and Amos, and they take revenge. And they get their country back, but when they get their country back, they drive out a lot of these people, these Hyksos, they drive them back, the Canaanites back. But there in the land are a whole bunch of these people left over from the previous administration, which are called Israelites. And when you know that backstory and you realize this is why they wanted to kill them, this is why they didn't trust them, this is why, because they lost their country to them, and this Pharaoh is afraid that what happened before is going to happen again. And we sit there and we talk about the Bible, and so many people just jump out there and say, well, I just don't think that there's any proof or any kind of existence for this. And you gotta, you got to read, you got to dig, you got to do this. I mean, this was those kind of things that I would do, but this is totally... Egyptian pictures of slavery of people who are harvesting grain, making bricks, gathering straw, doing the work, being beaten by their taskmasters. Now notice they dress them the same way. Everybody in here is wearing maybe jeans, a jacket. We dress similar because this is how we dress. But if we were going to go to a different part of the world, we might dress according there. And they had their servants reflect the white cotton of, of Egypt. But even to this day, they're making bricks with mud. Israelites didn't make the, the pyramids. They didn't chisel the stone. They were working in the dirt. They were gathering the straw and they were trying to break them. And that's exactly what an oppressor will try to do to our life. They will take and they will see the blessing of God on, their, on our lives and they'll deal shrewdly with us. And it says in, in one of the verses, it says this, that the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. Listen, the Egyptian, the, the way that that translates and I, I, just to give it to you simply, it literally means that they looked at the Israelites and they said, you make me sick. How many of you, those of you that are a follower of Christ, have somebody in your life, they don't know much about you, but it really doesn't matter. The fact that you're a Christian, they just look at you and they say, you make me sick. Right? Right? The fact, and here's the thing is, this is what happened with Jewish people. It didn't matter that they weren't the ones that brought the war. It didn't matter that they were there. They just looked at them and they said, you make me sick. You know what? There's all kinds of prejudice in our nation and it's going in all kinds of different directions. And the very one finger that you point out to everybody else, you got four of them pointing right back at you. And there is, there is all kinds of stuff and everybody can cry, this is unfair, whatever. But we, we, we're talking about a people, when you talk about a they are dropping dead from what they're being forced to do. This is on a whole different level. And they say, come, let us deal shrewdly with them so that they, if war breaks out, they'll join with their enemy. Let me, let me put it to you in our world. Hell looks at your life 
and sees God's blessing on it and says, I hate everything about God and I hate everything that God does and I can never get anything from God, so I'll make sure that even if they get it, they can't be blessed by it. How many times have you watched Satan sow discord, division, hatred, retaliation into your life and he torments and sows bitterness into what? Friendships, work relationships, work environments, roommates, marriages, brothers, sisters, parents, people. Some of, you, some of you out there are fighting with family members and you haven't talked to them in years and you, you can't even remember the original core issue. You just remember the feeling that you had that made you upset with them that you decided never to, to, to deal with them anymore. And God's saying, listen, get your eyes off of Tut, get your eyes off of Satan, get off of your eyes off of the difficulty and know that I am a God that will bring you, not in to leave you, but I'll bring you through. 400 years is a long year, and I don't, it's a long time, and I don't know, I don't know. Listen, I, I'd like to think the best of myself. I'd like to say, I'm a pastor, I'll follow God. Where he leads me, I'll follow him, you know, and that, that but, but sometimes it hurts some of the places that God leads us. And in order for us to do that, we need to trust, but we got to take our eyes off of the tut. So they ruthlessly make these people, they, 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 they oppress them. I, I need to say this, and I don't, I, I just, there's just not enough words in the English language, so I'm just going to, I'm limited, I'm a human being, and I'm, I'm not this incredible speaker, but I'm just going to tell you an incredible truth and pray that God sows this deep into your life. No man holds God's best for your life. No man, no circumstance, no job, no enemy, no friend. You know, there was a time where they could have turned to Joseph and got what they needed. Your connections, nobody holds those. God holds those things in his hands. And you know what? It works two ways because when things don't go our way, it's real easy for us to blame and say, you know what? The devil made me do it. Or some people say, God, God told me to do it. God gets blamed for all kinds of decision-making and stuff. But you know what? You need to know God for yourself. You need to know that God will bless you in a cursed situation and that God can cause you to multiply and that you don't have to play ding-dong ditch with a difficult situation. No man, no people, no problem can keep you from God's best for your life. No tut can do it. No Satan can do it. No demon can do it. No abusive family member can do it. No man holds it. No demon controls it. No oppressor can fold it. No lack of possessions can close it. Nothing can keep you from God's best for your life. Except you and me. If I'd be honest with myself, which is a very difficult thing to do, by the way, and I look back over my life, in order for me to get into God's best for my life, in my trust, sometimes what I also need is to get out of the us or the me or the we. If I just had more money, 90% of the world lives on a starvation diet barefoot in a mud hut with no water or electricity. I'm already set. Poverty is a very relative term in our world. What did Jesus say? Jesus said this, I have come to do the works of him who sent me while it's day, for night comes where no man can work. You know what's amazing is, is that word work is used here over and over again. They they ruthlessly made them work 
with heavy burdens, with hard, they worked hard, worked as slaves, made them uh, their lives bitter with labor. There's one word that pops up over and over and over again. You don't see it in English, but it's in Hebrew. Abadah, 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 abadah. And it's interesting that the very word that the enemy is using to describe how they're going to make them bitter and hurt them is the very word that the Jewish people use to describe worship. See, in, in, um, in the 21st century Western world, we make spirituality very emotional and very spiritual, but actually abodah is a compound concept. It's work and it's worship. In other words, I cannot worship without working, nor can I work without worshiping. Because I worship the Lord with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, and with all of my strength, abodah. You see, the other side to this story is, is that at the same time, I can take a bitter situation and make it better if I do it for the glory of God. Lord, you know my, my boss is a difficult person. You know those people are there. And then you know what some people do? I feel like God's leading me to another job, you know. Lord, you understand my husband is a difficult man. Father, you realize that my wife is struggling with addiction. I need to follow you. Give me a lead here. God says, worship me. Abadah. You know what? Any life that has been changed in any place that I've ever been, including my own, was because God doesn't use resources and he doesn't use connections. He uses people, people who are willing to work, people who are willing to roll up their sleeves and say, I don't, listen, I don't, I don't know how to do it, but I'll figure it out. I've never done it before, but I'll try. I, I, you know, I, I don't know how I can help, but I will. And, and, and that's the thing. That's the way that God, that God works with us. He uses us as people. It's beautiful to see that the very thing that the enemy was trying to destroy their life with, the people said, you won't destroy us. We'll worship God. Abodah, Abodah, Abodah. We'll work you till you're bitter. We'll work you into the ground. We'll work you. No, you won't. I'll worship. Because I don't do it for you. I do it for him. What if you turned every bitter person and experience into a worship opportunity? Now, don't get me wrong. The exodus has a definitive moment when it's time to go. There's no doubt about that. But there's a need for you to trust God. And some of you, although you're serving Jesus, you're struggling to trust him because your eyes are in the wrong place. I'm going to ask the whole worship team to come up, actually. And I want us to sing that song as we close off here, Peace Be Still, one more time. You know why? Because Jesus is depicted, depicted as the second Moses. In the book of Luke, he's in the wilderness. How many days? Forty. He, he's tempted to turn rocks into what? Manna, bread. He's tempted to bring promise to the world by bowing to Pharaoh, Satan. And he says, no. Worship the Lord and him only shall I serve, not your idols, not your power, not your resources, 
Sometimes we have to go through a wilderness in order to get to promise, but it doesn't mean that God's not at work. Sometimes we find ourselves in difficult places we wouldn't choose to be, but what we can't do is look at those difficulties and say, it's time for me to get out. This isn't God, God's not in it, when in fact there was never a more of a God moment in your life than the one you're in right now. I feel like I'm speaking to somebody very specifically. You're in the middle of a very difficult situation and your humanness wants to say that God's not in it and yet God is totally in it. I'm not talking about an abusive marriage. I'm not talking about an addiction. I'm not talking about sin-related issues, but you're the byproduct and victim of some very difficult situations that can't be taken care of by police and can't necessarily be taken by people. And you're saying, what, should I get out of here? Should I leave? And God's saying, no, trust me, trust me. Trust me, first Peter, and then we'll sing this song. Jesus, he, he, takes, he takes us out through that wilderness experience and then the storms come up in our life and the pharaohs show up in our life and Jesus says, get out of the boat. It's time to walk on water. It's time to defy the odds. It's time for you to trust me. And in 1 Peter 2, 21 and 23, it reads like this. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. That's a leader. Somebody who leaves an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile or return uh, in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Listen, don't look for justice. Look for the leading of God in your life. Don't look for the bitter oppression. Turn it into an opportunity of worship. Stop looking at people and situations and blaming the devil and blaming God and make a voluntary offering to God and say, here's my life, do with it what you want. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Not my will, Lord, yours. Here's my life. And it's in that moment when you trust that peace can come in. So I'd like us to stand across this room and as we sing this song, let it be let it be our stance for 2021. Say, God, don't move. I don't want to move myself. I want you to move me into the direction of your will. And whatever that's through, God, if it's walking on water, it requires whatever that is. I trust you. I trust you. Amen. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, we just glorify you and thank you that you can defy nature. You can deliver people. You can set us free, but you're calling us to trust and to take our eyes off of tuts. And you're calling us to get ourselves out of the way so that we can get into the path that you're leading us. In Jesus' name.